What's wrong with you people? What is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. And welcome to the part B episode of the Eyes Up and Ministries podcast. We're going through a series right now currently on the attributes of God, uh, including the aseity of God today. So what we're going to do is something, uh, I'll kind of take you through it a more abridged version. I do encourage you to go back and listen to the part A uh, version of this podcast. Uh, it includes me and three other gentlemen, and they're a little bit smarter than I am, but I'm going to do my best to break this down for you in a more concise manner so that if you don't have time necessarily to listen to it or you like to use this as a refresher, hopefully, uh, this will give you that opportunity. So the next attribute we're looking at here, which I've kind of mentioned already, but uh, we're talking about God's aseity. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that God's being is absolute independent from all other, other things. He is self-existent, self-sustaining. It's uh, it, it means that God has no need of nothing. Now, we don't like to hear that because there's a lot of people who go around saying things like, well, God needs our love. He needs our worship. He needs, no, God does not need. He may desire it. He may like it. It all brings him glory, of course. Uh, but God does not need anything. He is self-sufficient. The triune God does not derive any of his life from an outside source, but rather is the source of all being and all life outside of himself. John 1 and 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Our need to continually breathe, eat, drink, etc. reveals our lack of aseity. But humans and other creatures require things outside of ourselves. God does not. In Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 12, God says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did God consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Of course, this is a rhetorical question. And, of course, the obvious answer is no one. John 8 and 58, the son said, Before Abraham was, I am. All three persons of the Trinity share in the aseity of God. God's aseity does not mean that he causes himself, which would be an illogical nonsense, as if he could be both prior and subsequent of himself. Rather, aseity means that God has no cause, has no need of a cause, and is the first cause of all creation. Not that God, you know, like for instance, we see in Genesis 1, it says in the beginning, God, God created. Not 
God's beginning, but in the beginning, God, who already existed, began to create. So as Scripture teaches us, God is the first and the last, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the source from which all creatures exist and from who they all exist. So God is independent, unobligated, unaccountable, and reasonable only to himself. He is truly free to do as he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. Chronic said that his actions are not regulated by any law without him, but a law within him, the law of his own nature. Not to say that he can't do anything, because Scripture clearly gives examples of things that he cannot do. For instance, he can't lie, nor tempt, etc. But when we say that he is truly free, what we mean is that he is the only he, that he is only restrained by his nature, because God is ultimately holy, like we said in the previous episode. He always acts in such a way that it is consistent with his holy character. Ephesians 1 and 11 says, According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsels of his will. Not man's will. Not my will. Not yours. But God's will. God's aseity correlates with his sufficiency. The attribute that describes God as the overflowing founding of all good, according to the works, according to the words of the... Uh, Belgian Confession, Article 1, says, We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is only one simple and spiritual being which we call God, and that he is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing founding of all good. Now, don't let some of those big words scare you. We're planning on actually talking about some of those words in future episodes. But like it says in Exodus 3, 4, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God operates from a position of wealth, not need. Yet God freely chooses to live in covenant relationships with finite sinful people. Thus his sufficiency does not negate his love for us, but magnifies it. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he need anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God's aseity is not limited to the physical sphere. He is likewise the source and standard of everything immaterial that exists. God's aseity is revealed in both special and general revelations. Reason and science show us that something must be eternal and therefore self-existence, a.k.a. aseity. So, there's some object objections, obviously, out there in the Christian world that say things like, 
Doesn't Scripture teach that God desires our worship and praise? Doesn't he? Doesn't that clash with the concept of God's aseity? If he is complete and not lacking anything, then why does he desire this from humans? Hasn't science showed us that matter or the universe is eternal? Therefore, physical matter has the property of aseity. Well, there's an objection there that many people will have to bring up. But I think a careful analysis of the scriptures seem to teach us otherwise. Applications of God's aseity and sufficiency shows us that knowing God's aseity and sufficiency with faith and love is a source of great practical help in the Christian life. First, a heart of knowledge of these doctrines empower us to worship God with great joy and to trust Him when our circumstances are dark and discouraging. Second, the Lord is our sufficiency in ministry. Third, God's sufficiency can fill believers in Christ with hope as they anticipate the future inheritance with the king whose wealth is unimaginable. We have God. He is enough. Not you. You're not enough. God's enough. Without him, we're nothing. Fourth, it should drive us to humility. Knowing that God doesn't need us and that everything we give to him was his to begin with should eliminate any pride that we have, like we see in Job 41.11, when God says something similar to what he did in Isaiah 40. So I encourage you once again, go back, listen to the part A of this episode. This is the abridged part B version, the shorter, more concise one. And I may have made a mess of some things, trying to read through these notes as quickly as possible, but you get the general gist. God is absolutely independent from all other things. He didn't need to create us. He didn't need to do anything. He's self-sufficient, self-sustaining. And he is the beginning of all things. And there is no life outside of himself. I'm John Pruitt for Eyes Open Ministries. And again, check out our website, eyesopenministries.org. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube. We have a lot of materials for you, a lot of blog posts, a lot of podcasts. Check out our other podcasts, God's Mad Men. And there you can find, like I said, a lot of good content to help you guide through the scriptures and learn more about God. Till next time, peace out.